What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. The world hangs on a thin thread. Yeah. And that is the psyche of man. Nowadays, we are not threatened by elementary catastrophes. There is no such thing as an H-bomb. That is all man's doing. Yeah. We are the great danger. The psyche is the great danger. What if something goes wrong with the psyche? Yeah. And <coughs> so, you see, it is, it is demonstrated to us in our days what, what the power of the psyche is of man. How important it is to know something about it, but we know nothing about it. Have you seen what it's like out there, Murray? Do you ever actually leave the studio? Everybody just yells and screams at each other. Nobody's civil anymore. Nobody thinks what it's like to be the other guy. You think men like Thomas Wayne ever think what it's like to be someone like me? To be somebody but themselves? They don't. They think that we'll just sit there and take it like good little boys that we won't werewolf and go wild. How about another joke, Murray? No, I think we've had enough of your jokes. What do you get? I don't think so. When you cross I think a mentally ill loaner with a society that abandons him and beats him like trash. Call the police, I'll Gene. tell you what you get. Call the police. You get what you fucking deserve. First clip is Jung speaking on the human psyche hanging by a thread. He's right. Then it's a Joker clip on what happens when that thread finally breaks. He's also right. And here we are in the middle, we modern day Tom Sawyers, our mind not for rent by any god or government. In the middle to heal the collective psyche and the universe itself as we continue to leverage the ecstatic Promethean message of the Gnostics across history. What is the world then? An illusion. One which we can either submit to, as most do, or transcend. What is it to transcend? To recognize nothing is true and everything is permitted. We wake up further. We take care of the least of our brothers. We run with those searching for the truth and avoid those who have found it. We write our own gospel and live our own myth. As John Lennon said right before the Pinchar Contes killed his ass, it seems to me that the only true Christians were the Gnostics, who believed in self-knowledge i.e. becoming Christ themselves, reaching the Christ within. The light is the truth. Turn on the light. All the better to see you with, my dear. My father says that almost the whole world is asleep. Everybody you know, everybody you see, everybody you talk to. He says that only a few people are awake and they live in a state of constant, total amazement. On this last show of the year, we will truly grasp Gnosticism with an amazing astral guest. 
That is Alexander Maestrovoy, an individual who survived Soviet Russia and now fights for the free consciousness of all humanity. He comes to discuss his incredible book, Gnosticism Through the Prism of the Third Millennium. For Hephaun is a temperature at which book paper catches fire and starts to burn. Welcome to Aeon Bytenostic Radio. We don't take prisoners but liberate them. We are not the final authority on anything, but hope to be an endless possibility for everything. Between Jung and Joker, between the collective psyche hanging by a thread and the thread breaking, we rise like a mad Icarus, our wings not bound by wax, but by the very dreams of aeons and forgotten gods, of the tears of children who cried for a better world, and of the news igniting in us to imagine better possibilities than that of the creator gods and their catamites in the establishment conceive of inner realities that will transform all outer realities. Is this all real? Or is it just happening inside my head? Of course it's happening inside your head, Harry. Why should that mean that it's not real? Beneath this mask there is an idea, Mr. Creedy. And ideas are bulletproof. So honored to have Alexander at the virtual Alexandria. Alexander, by his history and fiery soul, is one of those rare individuals who, quote, gets the essence of Gnosticism. That solar joy and biting parody and uncompromising anarchism. That shamanistic intensity and philosopher wonder. And how it can... Yes, mend that thread to fasten the human psyche once again to something greater. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. As a bonus for patrons at Patreon and AB Prime members, I will include our interview with April DeConnick, where she discuss her seminal work, The Gnostic New Age. Like Alexander... April, quote, get the Gnostics. And with these two interviews, you'll, quote, get them and access and balance your inner Jung and Joker. It's all part of the plan. The Joker, you say? Don't tell me, Miguel, you pompous of Gnosis, that he's Gnostic? Don't know. But let me make a case why the recent movie is such a cultural mind-bomb. And why the character is so important to know, even embrace. I mean, why is the Joker, a murderous villain, so endearing and popular? Briefly, I'll tell you why. Oh, and none of these include Jared Leto's non-canonical joke of a joker. A whale's vagina. Here it is. 1. Joker is that outsider and rebel we all love to root for. That anti-hero that challenges traditional mores and laws. He is the ultimate anarchist, 
Greek for no archon. Who bucks a system that, deep down inside, we all know is a raw deal and a rigged game? Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Two, Joker is the manifestation of the trickster deity. That principle that vexes us, yet reveals new horizons of our outer and inner existences. For better or worse, but always for immense learning. Sophia, Hermes, Prometheus, and the Gnostic Jesus are all trickster deities, as I've argued before. Like the anarchist, the trickster deity exposes the gaping flaws of any tribe or culture and forces its citizens to find new solutions. See, their morals, their code, it's a bad joke. We've dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. Three. Joker is the archetypal jester or fool image. In medieval times, the jester was the one figure who could mock the king. Why is that? Because the king needed a reminder that he was but a mortal destined to die. That he always needed some humility. And certainly some laughter against the temporality of an absurd cosmos. Birth is a curse and existence is a prison. Because the jester or fool could say anything he wanted, this makes him the prime symbol of freedom of expression and freedom of speech. Two freedoms we're losing in this? Yes, clown world. Let's put a smile on that face. Should be noted, too, that clowns originally wore that white face to represent the death that is all around us, while allowing a new character to rise from a facial tomb. Death and rebirth, you might say. Remember, the role of the original philosopher like Socrates was to prepare for death, to die to life, to paradoxically become immortal. The quest is to be liberated from the negative, which is really our own will to nothingness. To say yes to one instant is to say yes to all of existence. Four, the Joker represents our shadow. As Jung said, the shadow is, quote, everything I do not wish to be. The collective shadow is what a people do not wish to face. The sins of the past and the repression of the present and the nurturing of future corruption. When we do not face our personal or collective shadow, well, Murderous villains appear to lead us to hell and project our fears onto minorities. Is Trump our collective shadow? Well, as Jungian analyst Ann Casement recently said, 
Trump is but a repository where we place everything we don't like. Guess for some people it's everything they do like. But both sides don't want to look inward. I have nonetheless decided to make the following announcement. Jeffrey Epstein did not kill himself. And let's face it. All modern cinema representations of Joker are a blend of the Alan Moore and Frank Miller versions. Ultimately the shadow of Batman. The acceptable symbol of fascism. Sorry, darling. You'll be in a better cell forever. Maybe we could share one. Yes, that trickster, that anarchist, that mocker of the colonial powerful who reminds the world that we're in is a ludicrous game of life mirror mazes where we all die and the best we can do is be like the Gnostic Jesus who laughs at that world a lot and resurrects while living. It's been a brilliant journey of self-awakening. Now you've simply got to ask yourself this. What is happiness to you? Hmm, is it a coincidence that in the recent movie, Joker's muse or daemon is named Sophie Dumond? Which means wisdom in the hills, which is how Sophia is portrayed in parts of the Old Testament. Maybe the Joker is Gnostic after all, or a Gnostic revealer for the 21st century. <laughs> Let me again quote Robert Frost and his saying, Forgive, O Lord, my little jokes on thee, and I'll forgive thy great big one on me. Or as Shakespeare said, Life is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury. I thought my jokes were bad. Let us, Nostigoy, make a commitment to embody the Joker in the next decade. Without the murderous bullshit, darling. Buddha smiles, but we can laugh to wake up the sleeping and console the forgotten. We are, after all, those veterans of a thousand psychic wars who have set the controls to the heart of the sun. Thanks for being here with me these last four seasons in what was Aeon Byte's best year. I am honored to serve you as you have served me in becoming the best Jungian Joker version of myself. We've only started playing the joke on God. That thread is healing. Led us to the interview with Alexander. Strange indeed that you should not have suspected that your universe and its contents were only dreams, visions, fiction. Strange, <laughs> because they are so frankly and hysterically insane, like all dreams. A god who could make good children as easily as bad, yet preferred to make bad ones, who could have made every one of them happy yet never made a single happy one, who made them prize their bitter life, yet stingingly cut it short, 
who gave his angels eternal happiness unearned, yet required his other children to earn it, who gave his angels painless lives, yet cursed his other children with biting miseries and maladies of mind and body, who mouths justice and invented hell, mouths mercy and invented hell, mouths golden rules and forgiveness multiplied by seventy times seven and invented hell, who mouths morals to other people and has none himself, who frowns upon crimes yet commits them all, who created man without invitation, then tries to shuffle the responsibility for man's acts upon man, instead of honorably placing it where it belongs, upon himself. And finally, with altogether divine obtuseness, invites this poor abused slave to worship him. You perceive now that these things are all impossible except in a dream. You perceive that they are pure and puerile insanities, the silly creations of an imagination that is not conscious of its freaks, in a word, that they are a dream, and you the maker of it. The dream marks are all present. You should have recognized them earlier. This is the AM Byte interview, and with us we have the pleasure of being joined by Alex Maestrovoy to discuss his excellent book, Gnosticism Through the Prism of the Third Millennium. Welcome to AM Byte, and how are you doing, Alex? Uh, okay, thank you, Miguel. Excellent. Truly a pleasure to have you on. For the audience, Alex has contributed some very good articles to the website, thegodabovegod.com, which I highly recommend. Just as I highly recommend you get Gnosticism Through the Prism of the Third Millennium, a book that, well, as the title says, is an important read for these Gnostic times in this Philip K. Dick world, as I call it. But also with us here in the Black Iron Prison, we've got Van Saatchi. How you doing, Vance? I'm fine, and I'm looking forward to a nice review of Gnosticism through another lens. Exactly, and the book does just that. It's always great to have a read that shows us how we can uh, leverage the ancient Gnostic mysteries for this modern world, this uh, crazy world that we live in today. But first, Alex, uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, uh, perhaps specifically how you discovered Gnosticism and uh, how you view it as a useful solution to today's uh, collective malaise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Miguel, uh, okay, let me divide your question to two ones. Uh, first of all, a little bit about myself. I was born in Moscow in sixty. was fond of journalism, worked in many Soviet editions, I hated Soviet regime, of course, and at first possibility immigrated to Israel. Uh, here in Israel, I continued to work in Russian language newspapers. I was a reporter and political columnist. And I live in Jerusalem, and as you know, I think this is a special city from spiritual point of view. Oh, indeed. I wrote what, uh, I think, yes, and I wrote a lot about religions of Holy Land, published 
a book about it, some parts book were translated to English about Sufi tradition, not uh, okay. And uh, other most uh, important questions, how I became Gnostic. Uh, okay, Miguel, it's separate theme. Uh, when I was a young man, I endured significant experience. Uh, about what kind of experience I tell. Like many young people, I passed a severe crisis. I felt that I was crushed, that I was broken, I lost ground and directions and didn't understand to what to leave. Again, it wasn't something unusual, you know, for this age. I think many of us uh, passed this difficult time in their lives uh, when we tried to answer some essential problems. In my case, I began to believe God. It wasn't a rational decision. Exactly opposite, I did not think about God at all. I was born in Soviet Moscow. And you know, Miguel, is, of course, it's completely atheistic society. I cannot say that my friend had a rejected idea of God at all. We just don't think about it. But uh, something extraordinary happened with me at those hard days. Once I, I felt an absolutely sudden powerful impulse, a push that turned me over. It was so powerful feel, feeling that uh, changed my life completely. And I felt it got, I really felt it got. Uh, it was an unforgettable feeling. And this time I decided to dedicate myself to him. I tried to prove myself first of all existence of God uh, by help of science and reason. Uh, it was difficult and sometimes uh, impossible to find such literature in Soviet Union, but I tried to do it. For me, it became more and more obvious, and we speak about it this uh, after that our world is brilliant designed construction that could not appear randomly. Uh, there should be perfect mathematical laws to create the cosmos, earth, biodiversity, and after it, uh, after all, the humankind. But uh, there were new and much more complicated questions. Uh, you know, if cosmos, nature, and man were the result of creation, these bring us back to original dilemma, to the question why? Why, to, to absurdity of our existence, why he is so silent, seeing endless human suffering? Why we don't see any justice in this world? And, you know, I try to find answers. I studied Christianity, Judaism, Sufism, Baha'ism, and I did not get, I did not get answers to, to, to my questions. Uh, there were too much mythology and dogmas by too little logic and clarity. Uh, but for me, it looked like that he is, he has his own goal. And this goal, uh, his aim had no common with our beliefs and our hopes. He is not mercy or kind God, but uh, look like cold and indifferent one. God of deists that created this world and its laws, but doesn't intervene at all to our life. 
then Miguel, they have a critical point of my believing, and it was terrible if you know perhaps earthquake in Indonesia in the beginning of millennium. Uh, why? Uh, I can explain it. We usually to try explain all disasters that ha happened with people by guilt of somebody, bad kings or rulers, or karma or social injustice or something else. So somebody tell us that God punished some nations because they made disgusting things and so on. But what matter to punish millions of miserable peasants? They are not guilty in any case. For me, this catastrophe meant end of illusion that we have imminent, careful, and mercy God. And, uh, but it doesn't mean that he is bad a priori. Science or researchers is not bad. He makes, makes cruel experiments with little mouse, <laughs> not because he's an science sadist, but because tries to save humankind from diseases. And, uh, however, there was strong contradictory in such approach. If he's a different god of the East, whom we feel in our hearts, whom I felt at this time oh, of trouble, of course not him. There is other great substation that gives worm and delight to, to our hearts, and this substation we can feel at most hopeless and terrible times of our life. And it was answers was following. There is other God, God above God. They have a little common, if have it at all. And it is, this is exactly what Gnostics wrote. They gave me answers which I tried, but wasn't able to get from, from any traditional religion. Now, uh, Miguel, it's a second part of, of your question. Why have Gnosticism as useful solution to today's collective malaise? Indeed, yes. Uh, see, we are living today in the beginning of third millennium. We achieved a lot, but in spite of it, we are confused and we embraced. We lost ground underfoot. We are like children lost in the night. We see that traditional religions lost their influence and cannot gain answer to hard questions. Moreover, they are stained with blood and disgrace. People don't believe them at all. Uh, Buddhism, perhaps, but Buddhism is a religion of comfort. Hindus explain the miseries of small human being by their karma. And uh, so how can such fatalistic views can help us? I don't think. Uh, what can be said about modern ideologies that were guilty in terrible crimes? Nothing good and positive. People try to invent today new pseudo-religious uh, like fight against global warming, cult of sexual perversions, and so on. They invent new ideologies, uh, but they have no connection, uh, according to me, I don't know, or nor with reality, neither with human nature. And not surprising that uh, people seeking salvation 
in uh, other very strange thing, uh, witchcraft, primitive magic, astrology, belief in desert people, aliens, infantile fandoms. Uh, what else? What else? Conspiracy theories. Uh, uh, the West today, according to German sociologist Ulrich Beck, accurate, very accurate expression, is a society of substational emptiness. Uh, I think it's exactly so. Not surprising that there is epidemic of depression among young people in the United States. And every sixth Europe, uh, citizen in Europe has a mental health problem and the majority in Western in Europe. Uh, but uh, the very fact that gnostic, gnostic answers stay, uh, uh, answer stay actual and exhaustive, and they can give people true hope and source of strangers, as I got when I was young. Uh, these answers are very logical, deep, and clear. There is nothing sophisticated here, artificial, nothing. Gnosticism was a unique religious philosophy which opened for us new possibilities and new dimensions, I think. Okay. Well said, Alex, and I'm assuming you didn't get a chance to really study any Gnostic Gospels or work in the the Soviet Union. So is when you went to uh, Israel, you read some of the Gnostic text? Uh, no, of course not. In Soviet Union, I did not. <laughs> No chance. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it was impossible. It was impossible. We we, we didn't have such literature. Uh, it's uh, no. I read it here. I read it here. But I I began to to try to understand nature of universe and nature of our world, and uh, it was beginning. Wonderful. And what would you say as you uh, left uh, the oppression and began your journey of self-awakening, as you say, these Gnostic answers like me opened up so many possibilities and answered the questions or at least allow me to uh, seek, continue to keep seeking. What are some of your literary, political or spiritual influences, Alex? Uh, one moment, Miguel, I would like to understand uh, exactly right what do you mean. Yes, who are, are there any people that have really influences thinkers? Your book, obviously, you bring so many great uh, thinkers, scientific thinkers, philosophical thinkers, uh, but are there any ones that really speak to you, that inspired you, that influence you? Okay, yes, really. Uh, the, there are some books that really influenced me, and first of all, this was... Researching of Hans Jonas and his book, uh, Gnostic Religion, the Gnostic Religion. It was very deep research uh, that included uh, Gnostic philosophy, religion, and poetry. And uh, other writer who influenced me a lot was George Borges and his with his poetical, uh, brilliant style. Uh, here he described this school Gnostic thinking in the following way. Uh, it's very interesting and very beauty. Where careless a criminal blunder, the fraud of engagement of flowered demigod and croyed material. He wrote, creation as a play of chance, like on plain at the hour of magnificent sunset, 
the skies are solemn and burning and the earth is wretched. Uh, it's influenced, uh, uh, influenced me a lot. Yes, Jorge Luis Borges is a, at least yeah. here is a, a wonderful writer. And like you said, he uses Gnostic themes so often. He's uh, yeah. underrated. Uh, and of course, Hans Jonas, that's a book that influenced me too, how he brought the existentialist side of the Gnostics. Yes, yes, yes. It's research, but it's very beautiful and very poetic. It's same, you know, and uh, I read it. I, I, I could not stop. I read it. It's a large <laughs> book. And it described yeah. a lot, but I really, it, uh, it was uh, something magnificent. Your book, Alex, begins with really a wonderful snapshot of the the Roman Empire back 2,000 years ago, which created this ground where Gnostic philosophy would rise. And your book provides this impressive environment that, again, created Gnosticism. And it had to do with shifts in Jewish culture, Hellenistic thought, and the Roman, the oppressive Roman Empire itself. Can you maybe tell the audience about this this fertile ground Ground that happened, or the situation that pressured the Gnostics to rise up and say enough with the gods. <laughs> yes, really, really. Uh, yes, Miguel. When you begin to to learn about Gnostics, we first of all uh, should understand the peak in which this movement appeared. God strange. Uh, it was obvious that it was epic of late antiquity that was of most critical time of humankind. It was an anxious, very painful time. And as you said, uh, there were three cultures that defined late antiquity, Greek philosophy, Judaic monotheism, and Eastern monotheism. But two of them, Greek philosophy and Jewish monotheism, were deepest crisis. Uh, uh, Far behind, Remind classical Greek culture with its bloom of Athenian democracy and philosophy, with Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, Alexander's achievements and truth of Hellenism, magnificent bloom of policies. So people lived in completely other epic. Uh, they hoped that triumphant Rome would be able to preserve in purity its unsophisticated ideals. But this hope destroyed too. And death of Marcus Aurelius, a great philosopher, plunged the empire into darkness and finality. Uh, so uh, so uh, feeling of people were changed completely. Hellenists measures themselves by God and regard his creation with respect and and uh, pity. God and the word of nature must be one, and all the life of the world must be contained with being of God. We lived zero. Now they lived in other words. Their word that they loved a lot was crumbling. The evil prevailed. The life and cosmic God became nonsense. Intervals of Hellenistic culture in Rome, Alexandria or Pergamon, should try to explain to themselves the reason of universal madness and misfortunes. 
this man to the thinking divine and human nature too. On the other side, Jews also experience some emptiness. People turned away from their God. Child killers succeeded to the throne. Zealots, blamed and madness succeed the descendants of Maccabees. Gloomy prophecies embodied, the second temple fell and promised lead dripped with blood. All of this very pity, very sad to see it for, for Jews that lived in this epoch. Merchie created like great and wise Plato de Milk, uh, living this world. And uh, conventional answers uh, uh, already could not satisfy either thinkers or believers. The lives of humankind more and more concentrated around two poles. Unlimited pagans, self-destructive hedonism on the one hand, and religious fanatism on the other hand. And uh, Miguel, it's exactly what we see today. We see emptiness, and on the other side, we see two policies. And uh, we, like people in uh, late antiquity, require brand new answers on eternal questions about origin of evil and salvation. And I think that Gnostic give them to us again. Well said, and I would agree. There are certain very powerful parallels of the existential despair in the Roman Empire added with the material wealth and prosperity that went with it and sort of was crushing the human soul and all these ancient religions were losing their luster. And your book, like Hans Jonas, does an excellent job of creating this uh, very vivid snapshot of those days. You also write, Alex, that the ancient Gnostics were, quote, united in their attitude to the material world. What was this attitude, Alex? Uh, yes, really, Miguel. There were a multitude of Gnostic movements, uh, a lot of Gnostic movements, uh, and sects. Uh, what do you want to, 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 to name them? But yes, all of them were united in their attitude to material world. Uh, they saw this world as place of endless suffering and injustice, place where ruthless rock Hemarmen, uh, they called them this rock Hemarmen, ruled. They put knowledge over social life with all its laws and regulations, delusions and aspirations. Uh, the Gnostic, according to to Romanian historian Mirce Eliade was free from laws which govern society. He is burned good and evil. Uh, I think it's true. All of them stated that human beings suffer hardship and pain, but uh, not because of some sin that was committed by their forefathers, but because of divine strife that destroyed. Uh, harmony of spiritual spheres. They maintained that human beings uh, were and will be hostages of their very selves, passions, grievances. At the same time, all of them believed that people, uh, Miguel, perhaps, perhaps not all, but many, have inside divine knowledge, uh, divine sparks, 
that connected them with upper spheres. That's really well said. I think in a nutshell, you say it well here and in your book, Gnosticism was about freedom and the potential of each human being to become the best version, yeah. the best version of their humanity and their divinity. So I agree yeah. with that. And well said that uh, for the audience, uh, Alex also takes the user down a journey of many of these Gnostic groups. Uh, who were their founders? What were their specific philosophies? So you'll get that too. And it's a very accurate and engaging summary of these ancient Gnostic groups. We yeah. could go on days talking about them, just as Hans Jonas spends hundreds of pages. But perhaps we could talk about some of those that get overlooked that are not as popular as uh, Valentinus or the Sethians yeah. or the Manichaeans. But that is Basilides and his movement. Could you tell the audience briefly about Basilides? Yes, Basilides like Valentinus, was a brilliant Gnostic philosopher. There are two Gnostic philosophers uh, that practically uh, practically on the tip of uh, Gnostic wisdom, I think. He lived uh, in the first half of the second century in Alexandria. That's what we know about him. And the most productive period of his activity occurred during years of Emperor Adrian. According to one of versions, he called himself disciple of Apostle Matthew, but we don't know exactly is it true or not. Uh, his teaching was complicated, very complicated, and had different versions according to different scholars. Uh, so I prefer version by a very respectful historian of religious, Philip Schaff uh, from Swiss. Uh, Basilid's God, he example, uh, he explained, uh, unimaginable and transcendent, held the potential of air of any spiritual and material phenomena. The divinity emanates the mind, nous, after it, word, or logos, which, where the emanations will to wisdom and power, gives rise to two archons. One of them created a higher spheres. The second, Demurk, created the lower material world of the cosmos. So, there were 365 spheres that called Abraxas by Basilides. Later, Abraxas, as you know, repeatedly used in Christian and Jewish mysticism, but it's other story, and uh, uh, it's not our theme. They moved away, I mean all spheres, moved away from the Creator and began their own lives, distorted and devoid of divine balance. Uh, all of this uh, abraxis is full of contradictions, it's evil and virtue, it's truth and falsehood, the sacred and wild, pain and joy, birth and death, and therefore it's so frightening, uh, it's so, so complicated, it's, uh, difficult to understand it, but it really looks like our word. The process of returning to God started when the Archon's son, 
under influence of the Holy Spirit, revised their process of removal from divinity and returned to Pleroma. Uh, his Domiurg, uh, uh, Basilides, reminds the Jewish creator. He was absolutely not evil or Satan. Not knowing the truth, he simply created the world in his own image. He was blind, but not so his own fault. It's not so he's guilty. It's a problem of divine spheres uh, more than his, uh, his, his fault. His Jesus had little in common with Christian Jesus. He wasn't the good man, but image of light of inconceivable depths, divine entity, in illusory carnal shell. His was support of moderate ascetic life, uh, but as you know, perhaps some of his followers distorted his teaching and they, uh, they made uh, other style of life that's not so interesting for us. Uh, the interesting is his attention of Basilides. Uh, to to and uh, and his conception, his hymn. Wonderful and thanks for that. Yeah, I think uh, Basilides or Basilides. We weren't there. We don't know how to pronounce it. But it was yet yeah, more uh, non-dualist, perhaps more positive, even with all these archons and so forth. And yeah, how the Holy Spirit plays into it. It's a it's a wonderful cosmology. Uh, but uh, with many Gnostics, uh, it's it gets very complicated and. Sometimes it gets confusing when you very, read one or the easy. other. <laughs> it's like not, not, not easy to understand all of <laughs> very complicated, really. Yeah, it doesn't end one system to the other. It's just this long Byzantine creation, but it's almost a sort of a process of the mind or a koan for yourself to really understand. And they were trying to interpret their own visions of how the universe was as they were going through their ecstatic flights across the spheres. But a good summary of facilities, Alex. And uh, one group, which is uh, interesting, a lot of people assume that the more uh, Christian Gnostics were these pacifists who were always getting their butts kicked by, by, by the other powers, the powers that be, whether it was the Manichaeans or the Valentinian churches being closed down or so forth. But one exception, perhaps, is the group called the Paulicians, as you write in your book, and they thrived during the Byzantine Empire. Could you tell maybe the audience about these, you might say, warlike Gnostics? Yes, of course. Uh, Paulicians, yes, it was unique, right? It was unique and very unusual movement. And uh, they con it was connecting link uh, between Gnostics of late antiquity and European dualistic movements in face of Bogomils and then Qatars. Uh, so uh, about Paulicians a little bit. Uh, they appeared in 17th century in Armenia near Samosati city. Uh, it's corner of uh, ancient Armenia. But, uh, no matter, Armenian called Constantine uh, came to conclusion that church was perversion of Peter teaching. Uh, he dreamed to return Christianity to its original roots and called himself Silvanus after one of Paul. Lol disciple. 
Uh, and very quickly, for a quarter of century, Constantine spread his teaching in Samosata and uh, surrounding villages. And he challenged powerful Byzantium. As, uh, of course, they paid attention to, to, to this phenomenon. And the reaction to heresy was furious, of course. Emperor of its hair, Simeon, uh, eventually captured Constantine Silvinus and ordered to stone to him to death. It's a usual punishment. Uh, however, history played a low-down trick with Simeon himself. He passed himself to this heresy. And his fate was tragic too, of course. He was burned alive. Uh, on the order of Justinian II, uh, but it did not stop uh, already development of uh, of this movement. Uh, by the time uh, this movement pollutions uh, acquired a life on its own, and the, its followers called themselves pollutions. This after death of uh, of uh, Simeon, according to one version in honor of Apostle Paul, according to other version, in honor of Armenian preacher Paul of Samosata, who lived in Antioch in the third century. What exactly, uh, which version is right, we don't know exactly, but so there was a second birth of Marcion church. And uh, it's important, I think, uh, the cornerstone of their teacher teaching was John's word. We know that we are from God, and the world, world lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, so, having absorbed Christianity, they became the antipodes of Christianity. In their version, Jesus was doomed to forever withstand forces of evil in face of Jewish synagogue and Christian church too, uh, because they worship the blind and souls and cruel creator. And like Marcion's Gnostics, they maintained that uh, human nature consisted of two entities that were alien to one other. One, matter, which is in the grip of Demiurg, and Pneva, which connects humankind with an ideal divine word, Pleroma. Uh, however, unlike Gnostics, they did not divide humanity into the chosen one on the one hand and material and spiritual on the other. According to them, all people, all people carried within themselves a particle of the divine. So, Paulicians adopted the Gnostic idea of seduction in Eden taught upside down. The snake of temptation, in their interpretation, gave Adam and Eva back free will. The apple of knowledge woke them from the sleep of pointless animal existence in which they found themselves at the will of Demiurg. And like Gnostics, they deprived Jesus of divine human nature. In Jesus, they saw the spirit in its pure form sent from above to bring people the knowledge of their fate and liberation from the world. Uh, so Miguel, they rejected very idea of originals. In man, they saw hostage of creator and his material kingdom. 
the very idea of Jesus' crucifixion and the resurrection reminds the Paulicians the cause of dying and regenerated pagan gods, Osiris, Ateas, and so on. And they were against miracles, magic, and sacraments. They rejected the Old Testament uh, because it was, in their, from their point of view, creation of Demiurge. And uh, even Apostle Peter provoked their rejection because, unlike Paul, he drew up in the Jewish tradition. Uh, their way, way of life was moderate and not ascetic, as, uh, as Mark on sect. Their roots were simple, as in their opinion, ceremonies, any ritual ceremonies were distracted the soul from their main mission. And uh, they turned out to instruments of priests that uh, managed the people. So all this history was set with support of emperors, iconoclasts at first, and later with help of caliphs. Uh, Pollutions created their own state with capital at fortress at Africa in modern Turkey. Uh, they successfully waged wars against Byzantine army. Uh, in, in any case, they were not pacifist and ready to defend their believings by spirit, but they were doomed. And eventually, 100,000 Paulicians were killed. Uh, some of them adopted Christianity, some fled to neglected corner of Armenia, and those who remained were resettled in southwestern Bulgarian as buffer on boundary uh, of Byzantium. And they gave spread to new movement with winnow in history as Bogomils. It's a really very sad story, but, but it proved that uh, people, they were ready to defend themselves by sweat. They were not pacifists in any case. Agreed and well said. Yes, I've heard they were also excellent horsemen. So we have uh, sort of this, I guess, uh, movement or survival from Manichaeans, Paulicians to the Bogomils and the Cathars and so forth. So you don't see a problem yeah. with this, uh, with this sort of, uh, heritage, this lineage going through history, which pretty much ended with the Cathars. Uh, yes, yes. It's, uh, of course, it gave road to, to Cathars, and we know about Cathars much more better than about uh, Bogomils and about Paulicians. Um, right. Yes, the Inquisitors wrote a lot about them. And Alex, do you have, uh, are there any Gnostic groups that speak to you the most that you like or prefer, or you think they're all uh, important and great in your opinion? Uh, yes, uh, thank you for questions. It's interesting. I think, Miguel, yes. I close, I individually close to point to view of uh, Ptolemy, disciple of Valentinius. Uh, why he portrayed his demiurge as limited, uh, narrow-minded, uh, but virtuous being who tried to return to people their spirituality with help of moral imperative. Uh, I agree with uh, this conception. There was famous Russian painter Mikhail Vrubil uh, uh, who, uh, who used a very interesting late Byzantine steel art, 
one of his most famous character was demon and uh, Rubel wrote about his demon uh, it is not so much a weak spirit a suffering and sombre entity but imperious and spirit nevertheless the majestic being which demands difference and respect and you know Ptolemy's demiurge appeared to be for me a light of rubel demons i see him in modern term uh, terms as researcher who went to find some kind of formula how to improve the material world but not so succeed too much but it's uh, my of course uh, Owen, uh, uh, feeling and my vision. Yeah. Wonderful. And thanks for sharing that. And, uh, you write too, Alex, getting back to your previous point, uh, towards the beginning of the interview that for Gnosticism to resurrect effectively in the 21st century, and I'm quoting your book, it has to be, quote, reinvented and rethought in terms of not myth and esotericism or esoteric but reason rationality and logic uh, what do you mean by that and can we do it yes, yes. Uh, yes exactly exactly Miguel uh, because I will explain why uh, previous times people spoke spoke on the language of mystic and myth Today we are living in other time. This is time of science and rationality, and we must speak on the language of logic. Uh, more of it, we know much more than our ancestors. We passed a lot of thinking history. Uh, some of them were terrible, as we know. We made a great achievement and became quite adult people who are able to analyze to analyze ourselves and the world. We can, I must, I think, try to evaluate Gnosticism, its meaning and idea from the height of third millennium in the light of experience and knowledge and science. And uh, without it, uh, we, we, we will not to, to, to go on. We, we could not live now in 21 century in, uh, in epic of mythos and mystica it's not our time it's not not good for us we otherwise we, we, we don't understand gnostic religion makes sense and also uh you write and this is a, a wonderful uh, essay you wrote for the website I, I urge the audience to check it out and that is a gnosticism defile and corrupted and of course you write about this in your book uh, so tell us uh, what exactly is gnosticism defile and corruptive corrupted sorry oh, yes, about that. <laughs> yes yes but unfortunately it's true because gnosticism became to object of cynical many times became object of cynical and ignorant manipulations um, in 19th and 20th centuries it's, it was time of spiritual crisis. Gnosticism got popularity, very popularity in circles of decadent and exalted intellectuals. Uh, but, but the interest really had no relation to true Gnosticism. There was some kind of mixture of mind games and fascinations with mysticism and occultism. 
and hypothesis arose and multiplied about secret succession between Gnostic Qatars with uh, the Mason and Knight Templars about secret connection between Gnostic and mysterious Holy Grail about Qatars as bearers of sacred knowledge of the ancient Celts. Uh, all lovers of esoteric and supernatural used Gnostic symbols. They very like to do it. Uh, and names, Gnostic names too. They use it with uh, extraordinary ease. For example, Elena Blavatsky, Alistair Crowley, Elena Guillon were seen by their followers as Gnostic in spite, in reality, these people, uh, these figures, uh, did not know nothing about Gnostics. And other like spiritualist Jules Donnell, he called himself Valentinus, incarnation to Valentin. It was uh, uh, ridiculous, uh, but uh, it's so. It was parody to Gnostic thought. Uh, it, but uh, all of this is no more than combination of pretense, affectation, narcissism. Uh, Carl Jung, he was so famous, of course, without doubt, took a keen interest in Gnosticism. And his book is named Seven Sermons to the Dead, written by Basilides of Alexandria, the city where East and West meet is the proof of this. Uh, however, this word, his word, was the word of secret, secret knowledge, alchemy, myths, occult symbols of antiquity and Middle Ages at the same time. Again, this was a very strange mixture of occultism and irrationalism and intellectualism difficult to, to understand but there is no I think any real connection with the Gnostic religious philosophy uh, we observe an attempt to manipulate to manipulate Gnostic teaching uh, an example of this is investigation uh, investigation of Nazi archaeologists Ottoran employed by Himmler, who maintained that Qatars were the bearers of sacral knowledge of ancient Celts that had been squashed by Judaism and Christianity. And other example was linking of Gnosticism with modern totalitarian murderous ideologies, communism and Nazism, by American philosopher Eric Vogelin, uh, well known too. And in our days, we see a lot of, uh, of such ideas and such followers like popular Catholic author Robert Rayleigh. Uh, this man tries to connect Gnostic Third to aberration of modern progressivism and so on. And they gave name of such phenomenon to neo-Gnosticism, but again, there is, and there is no any connection with Gnostics themselves. At any time, I think it's absolutely nonsense. It is obvious that <laughs> Gnosticism, yes, in any of it version, any of it version, there are a lot of sects and movements, uh, never a speech to establish heaven on the earth 
and change this world as modern uh, collective ideologists tried to do. On contrary, the peace and harmony were quite diagnostic through an internal escape from material existence to extreme individualization. Uh, they despised matter and tried to isolate themselves from the world. But uh, communism, Nazism, postmodernism, and uh, popular so called progressive theories today are no more the uh, ugly perversion of the ideas of age of enlightenment. It's very easy to prove it, and, and uh, there is no any necessity to connect Gnosticism with uh, these phenomenon. Uh, so, uh, so I'm sure about it. It's very putty. They, all these people try to manipulate Gnosticism in their um, uh, doubtful aims. Um, yes, Miguel. Indeed they have. It is defiled and corrupted, and these movements will do it. They, they think they have a secret knowledge that makes them special, that makes them superior to other human beings, and they want to... Uh, well, create their own pleromas on earth at the cost of others that they project their archons on. And your book, again, and as well as your essay, does an excellent job at really showing yeah. us that. But, Alex, you talk about how Gnosticism must use logic and reason, but at the same time, your book says that uh, reason and science have failed humanity's ability to expand its consciousness and grow. That, uh, as you write, uh, you spend a chapter, How We Have Killed God, as Nietzsche said, oh, yes. as a fool says in the, I think, the gay science. So, what is the solution, or what are your views on this? Uh, yes, yes, Miguel. From uh, right from my point of view, there is saddest page in human history. We killed the goat. Our our reason and uh, killed the goat. It's uh, some very sad paradox. Uh, our epic, as you know, the age of aggressive atheism, very snobby, very arrogant. Uh, it is known as neo atheism and in reality is continuation of famous Marxist scientific atheism. We learned it a lot in Moscow when I was young. <laughs> uh-huh. so, <laughs> so I, I was surprised really when I came <laughs> here and I disclosed that, oh, okay, it's, uh, it's uh, again, this is this. Uh, Atheism who returned. So uh, I, 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 I wasn't ready to it, but, but now it's obvious. Uh, so it's, uh, scientific atheism is what is asserted that there is no credible scientific evidence of the existence of God. But, Miguel, the all absurdity of these assertions uh, lies in the fact that science has never denied the existence of supreme substance and today accumulates a lot much more evidence in favor of God's existence. Uh, and I would like to tell, I wrote about it. Uh, the first thinkers and philosophers first were neither nihilists nor atheists. They saw human mind as early means to understand the truth. But truth was inseparable from God. Science and faith 
blended with each other and blended quite harmoniously. René Descartes, for example, wrote about first push that created harmony and balanced laws. And for Jonas Kepler, geometry was a tool of perceiving God and proof of harmony of divine spheres. And Galileo Galilei said the nature and God have perfectly arranged their structure. And Isaac Newton admired an ideal creation of the universe. For them, the idealization of reason seemed uh, some kind of absurd. So, uh, but achievement, what, uh, what played, it was a bad trick with us, that some achievement played uh, this trick with humankind. People in their pride in 19th centuries decided that they did not need God. More of it, they sought tools to crush him. And uh, so, uh, in the world, a church of atheism uh, uh, came, and it, it was not natural. On the contrary, one could assume that in getting to know the laws of nature, people would be increasingly inclined to believe in the universal character of the global law, which could not have arisen from vote, from house of the universe. Moreover, Miguel, the paradox was and still remains that the leading scientists never had been atheists in true sense of the word. Never. Karl Friedrich Gauss, the prince of mathematicians, Alexander von Humboldt, Darwin, Thomas Edison, in any case were atheists at all. Faraday, André Ampere, John Fleming, James Joel, and many other famous inventors were true believers. Paradox, really paradox, but it was not the scientists who threw the god of Mount Olympus. It was done by people who were very far from sciences, philosophers and bohemians and writers and public figures, and their logic wasn't so scientific. Their logic was uh, obvious and very simple. Uh, God was associated with ideal world, order, harmony, with justice, but we know, we now have this justice and we now, we now have happiness and our birds are unfair and hostile, chaotic and sign. And if so, as God was deprived of the right of existence. So it's logic. The Baron Holbach and Stendhal, Bernard Shaw, Schopenhauer, Karl Marx, many other intellectuals asserted that no proofs of this existence, they are not good books, so he doesn't exist at all. Uh, they were cons convinced if God is neither great, nor good, nor generous, nor fire, he doesn't exist. It's, it's uh, logic, but it's, uh, it's uh, nonsense. It's, uh, uh, it's some kind of absurd thing. We cannot try to understand the God according to our uh, own terms and our moral ideas. And I would like to emphasize that it's very important from my point of view. All of them were popular thinkers and not scientists at all. 
And the same situation today too. We can speak about this later. Yes, Miguel, thank you. Well said. And your book also brings amazing research on the mystery of evolution and life itself. Uh, again, your book is a, a journey through history, yeah. through the thoughts of great thinkers and the shifts in politics and uh, all these uh, great monumental changes in how gnosis can help us navigate or help us crystallize how it happened. But Alex, do you feel there is an intelligent design to Earth? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. There is no doubt for me, Miguel. Uh, I'm sure that God did not die as a taste uh, asserted. However, uh, it's not so difficult to understand it, to, to see this, uh, our life and nature and cosmos. Our world is a result of divine project. I think it's brilliant construction where every detail and every parameter of every detail has its own value, place and importance. And microscope changes, it was proved in those parameters and details and construction would collapse. Many famous scientists began their professional activities and convinced atheists, like, for example, medical doctor Colin Villand, uh, but uh, completed their careers as believers, convinced of the existence of divine power. Uh, Charles Hart Jones, an American Nobel Prize winning uh, physicist, did not conceal this option. He wrote the question of science seems to be unanswered if we explore from science alone. Yes, I believe there is a need for some metaphysical or religious explanation. I believe in concept of God uh, in, in his existence. And it's, he is not one. And many, many scientists support this idea. Uh, one, many, uh, there is many uh, and many quotes I made in my book to, to, to prove it. Uh, let's see what, for example, Robert Jastrow, uh, American leading NASA scientist, he wrote. Uh, they very interesting, some kind of allegory. Astronomical evidence supports the biblical view of original world. For the scientist who has lived in his face in the power of a prison, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountain of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. Yes, he pulls himself over the final rock, and he is greeted by the bunch of theologians they have been sitting there for centuries. And uh, I can go on and on with Kabotis. There are a lot of them. Uh, so uh, our bird looks again, I think, like huge laboratory of great architect or mathematician or researcher, whatever you can call him. Uh, but we feel his resign in everything from the perfectly adjusted mechanism of astronomic to structure of bacteria, from dragonfly eyes to human DNA and the mystery of human origin. And that's not all, Miguel. Uh, there is uh, uh, 
other interesting, very interesting uh, phenomenon of saying, I think, that same could be said about human uh, nature too. It's very unique and very complicated construction. Uh, let's ask ourselves, uh, what is imperative of life? Uh, I think, I think, and it's my conviction, if we speak about one man of all countries, even civilization, answer is obvious. Uh, this imperative is eternal movement. It most precise, calibrated combination of suffering on one side, according to my view, and powerful will to live on other side. Here is what encourages humankind to constantly and faithfully strive uh, after happiness. Suffering, suffering has been made the focal point of world construction by default. On the other hand, without the powerful survival instinct, our existence would be unbearable and odious. This combination in reality is some kind of perpetual motion, the eternal force of progress. It's cynical, it sounds, but I think it's, it's true. If humans uh, were come to stop, they, individuals, collective body, they doomed to death. And you know, Miguel, I should uh, mention this, I think it's important. It's not my own idea. Not such thought would express, uh, you will be surprised, uh, by men who created the most popular, popular weapon of our time. It's a famous A, uh, A key 47 assault rifle, and his name Mikhail Kalashnikov, you know. So, shortly before his death, he wrote about an intolerable heartache, even despair that had nestled in his heart. He wrote, good and evil life sit alongside, fight, and what is the scarest put up with each other in people's souls. That's a conclusion I reached at the dawn of my life. It appears that there is some eternal engine which I so wanted to invent in my young years. Yes, so he speak about perpetual motion, light and shadow, he continued. Good and evil, two opposites on by unit, and capable to exist in one without the other. Could it really be the supreme hero, the supreme God arranged it in this very way, and humankind will forever languish in so, in such so existence? Uh, Okay, from my point of view, Miguel, not on only human nature, but all history of humankind, of mankind, confirms this imperative. Uh, key aspiration for illusory happiness allowed people to create unique civilization. And they did it in extreme short time. Uh, but people are the hostages of their own nature. They are still hostages. Still, in their short by standards of eternity, they passed all such stages. They believed in witchcraft and magic and divine power of nature, in the law of one God, Christian love and realism and science 
and now idea of freedom, democracy, equality, but failed, but they failed and continued once and once. And we, as I said, before we entered the 21st century as victories, and uh, we found ourselves surrounded by emptiness. We lost direction and we cannot stop. And like Sisyphus, we are never to roll the block we are pushing onto the top of the mountain. But at the same time, we are constantly finding new ways to perfect our work. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I see this as uh, essence of Demiurg plan that we cannot understand it perfectly, but I think there is uh, some kind of, of uh, his plan. Well, Alex, uh, thanks for coming on Aeon by Gnostic Radio and discussing your excellent book, Gnosticism Through the Prism of the Third Millennium. I'm very grateful to you that you helped me, that you organized this kind of uh, interview, and I, I got such, such option, a great option possibility to make to other people to, to hear me about my ideas. Wonderful. Yes, we hope more people hear about your ideas and uh, more people get your book and listen and find the truth for themselves within them. So thank you very much, Alex, and truly appreciate you coming out here at the Virtual Alexandria. Thank you. Good day. And there you have it, my beloved true seekers. The first part of our interview with Alexander Maestrovoy on his book, Gnosticism Through the Prism of the Third Millennium. This millennium needs as much help as possible. I'm sure you can all agree. In our second part, he reflects on humanity's propensity for violence, war, and human sacrifice. On genocide even happening today and what we need to do to change so we can stop feeding those dark archetypes. The answers, not surprising many, deal of course with accessing the right gnosis that includes hermetic ideals and sound philosophical reason we have lost in, yes, the third millennium. Don't want to miss it, and much more. As mentioned in the intro, and as a bonus for Patrons and AB Prime members, I will include our interview with April DeConnick, where she discuss her seminal, The Gnostic New Age. Like Alexander, April gets the Gnostics, and with these two interviews, you'll also get them and access so many answers you might need to navigate and escape the Black Iron Prison. So please become an AB Prime member or patron at Patreon for the complete dope. If you find this content valuable, please help keep growing this red pill cafeteria. I am 100% audience supported and thus will never sell out as I grant you the wisdom of the Gnostics you won't find anywhere else. A mere $5.99 a lunar cycle actually $6.99 in 2020, 
or really whatever you want to pledge a month on Patreon. This is where you finally counter the fascism and Soviet Russia reboot creeping into our collective consciousness. Please go to, you got it, the God Above God Dead Cam for how to get this and all other full shows, as well as other wonderful bonuses. If you just want to support with shekels via PayPal or the US mail, head on to my homepage as well, or just message me. We're all in this together. Divided we stand, together we rise. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true Joker and Jung self. Hello and goodbye as always. <laughs>